Well, listen, guys, man, we are going to start a brand new series today entitled Putting the Sea in Christmas. And what I want to do for the next three weeks is I want to talk about this, these different ideas because a lot of us, right, when you talk about Christmas, the seas that are in Christmas for us is we've commercialized Christmas. It's all about the stuff we buy that we don't need, and now we have more of them or bigger or shinier or newer. For us, the sea of Christmas is celebrations, right? It's all about work parties and gatherings and dirty Santa parties. Nothing wrong with those things. Some of us, it's Christmas cards or caroling or choirs or even church. There's nothing wrong with church, but a lot of times, the only time some people come to church is Christmas and Easter. We're glad. That's no hate. I'm glad you come. Obviously not you because you're here and it's not Christmas. But there are a lot of seeds we put in Christmas. For the next three weeks, I want to talk about some things that I think as a culture will help us understand the significance of this event we celebrate, will help us lean in and really be captivated and changed in a way that God intends you to. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the seeds of Christmas. We're going to talk about the content of Christmas. We're going to talk about the connection of Christmas. And today, I want to talk about the context of Christmas. Now, I know you all are really fired up about that. I, I can tell. The context. Everybody say context. Context is really important in life. Context is a big deal. I know you, you've heard the word. A lot of us here, we know what it is. But you that maybe are not aware, here's what context is. When you say context, context it's the circumstances that form the setting of a statement of an event or an idea. What is context? Context is the thing that gives us handles to understand what we're hearing or what we're looking at, what we're evaluating. It's the backdrop. It's the background. Without the context, you'll miss really the meaning. And the reason some of us are not really celebrating Christmas on the level we should is because we don't have the context we need. Context is important. Let me give you a couple examples. If, if somebody tells you, Hey, I need you to open up. Well, I need some context on that because if that comes from your dentist or that comes from your spouse, that means two different things, right? If someone tells you, hey, I need you to open up and you're sitting there and you're like, well, it all happened when I was five years old and my dad left. And your dentist is like, I don't care. Open your mouth. Context. One of the questions that I get from time to time in, uh, in some counseling or conversations is, Someone will come to me and they'll tell me, hey, I'm dating this person. And man, they're really jealous. Pastor, what should I tell them? And I have, early on, I would give advice quick. What I have found out is you can't give appropriate wisdom or advice until you have context. Because sometimes the reason the person that you're with is jealous isn't because they're jealous. It's because you're jacked up. And sometimes I need to find out that you've been cheating on them and they just found some stuff on your phone that shouldn't be there. And that's why they're jealous. They don't have issues. You got issues. Context context. Context is important. Context is important. For example, if a grown man uh, wants to show his love and appreciate for, appreciation for something by taking off his shirt, painting his chest, and wearing a goofy hat, hey, there's nothing wrong with that at a football game. It might be overboard at a funeral. <laughs> I mean, it's just all about context. Everybody say context. Context is important. Context is important, especially when it comes to the Bible and it comes to the stories that we read. One of my jobs and the job of anybody who's a communicator, it's important that they set up the context. What is the cultural background? What is the historical context of what we're reading? Because if you don't have the proper context, you will either overlook or misapply scripture. You'll say that doesn't matter to me or you'll misapply it to your life. People take scripture out of context all the time and try to make it say something it wasn't intended because they don't have, come on, say it with me, 
context. So context is important. There's probably no story that is, is, is needed to have context more than the Christmas story. Because without the context needed, it will not be the history-shattering, life-changing, faith-shaping event that God intended it to be. So today, my assignment is to talk about context. What is the context of the Christmas story? Well, the Apostle Paul, he introduces this scripture, and we're going to look at the same scripture for three weeks. Each of these three weeks, we're going to lean into Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and verse 5. And so, Lawrenceburg, I want you to read this with me. Our Shoals Camp is Florence. Here's the first couple words. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says this, but when the right time came. Four of you read that. I need the other thousand or so. Read that with me. Come on, all at one time. But when the right time came. When the right time came. The way some translations translate this verse is in the fullness of time. The best way to understand this is this way, when all of the preparations were complete. In the fullness of time, at the right time, when all of the preparations were complete, it says this. Here we go. Here's the rest of the verse. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him, watch this, to buy freedom. Next verse. Come on, y'all. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Come on, somebody. So what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he drops this phrase on us uh, at the right time, in the fullness of time, when all of the preparations were complete, what the Apostle Paul is talking about is he's answering the question of why didn't God send his son Jesus as the Savior of the world sooner? Why? We, Christmas is the celebration of the birth of Jesus, God's son. Why was it 2,000 years ago, roughly? Why wasn't it three years ago? Why wasn't it, or 3,000 years ago? Why wasn't it 4,000 years ago? That's the, that's the implication he's making is that Jesus, he came, here's all Paul's saying is he came at the right time. Because this, the context of Christmas, that's what we're going to talk about. The context of Christmas, Christmas story is the timing of God. And my goal today, my assignment today is to make you leave in awe of God's timing. Now, I know God doesn't always feel like he's on time, right? The timing of God is, is very difficult. Sometimes we feel like God is late. We, we never feel like God is early. We're just always wondering, God, have you fallen asleep on the job? Do, hello, Woo, we're, I'm here. God, are you answering my prayer? And what you find in the context of the Christmas story, what we're about to celebrate in just a few short weeks, should blow your mind of how big God is, how sovereign God is, how in control God is, that the context of the Christmas story, the backdrop that makes it so powerful, is that that happened in the fullness of time. It came to pass at the right moment when God had made all the preparations necessary. Jesus stepped on to the platform of human history at the right time. So timing is a funny thing, right? A lot of us, we try to manipulate timing. We try to control timing. That's why we keep calendars and day timers, right? We try to plan out our day or plan out our week. If I was to call you and say, hey, let's grab lunch. Let's go grab a cup of coffee and talk, right? A lot of you would be amazed that I invited you and you drop everything and come running. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's a joke. It's not my ego because he's so egotistical. Most of you would look at your time and say, ah, oh, man, I'd like to, but I already have an appointment that day. I have to work that day. Why? Because we're trying, to, we're trying to control the timing of our life. But it doesn't take very long to find out how out of control timing is, right? Some of you are in the process, right? Lawrenceburg, you're in the process of trying to have a kid, 
And the timing's just not right. You're doing everything that you need to do, and this is no baby. And then on the flip side, some of you wasn't even trying to have a baby, and you're about to have a baby. Why? Because timing is something that we want, we strive for, but it's often out of control. But more than that, I think timing, watch this. A lot of times, timing is happening in a way that we don't understand and we don't appreciate. It's so easy to go through life and things happen just so easily and us not realize that there was a lot of timing that was necessary, all of it to click in synchronicity to make that event possible. Let me just give you something very practical. For example, how many of you, how many of you have ever gone on a plane on a trip? You got on a plane and you flew somewhere. Wave at me. Most of us. Lawrenceburg, Shoals. Probably most of us. We've been on a plane. Think about all of the timing that has to come together perfectly for you to get from point A to point B. First of all, there's the timing of your own, li- of your own life. If you're going to go on a trip, you have to have vacation time, right? You just can't up and leave. You'll come back and you won't have a J-O-B. So you've got to have vacation time. You have to go in a, in a season or a time where you've got some extra ex- disposable income. You have to go in a time when you're not sick, right? If you're sick, you cancel trips. So I've got to be healthy. I've got to have vacation time. I've got to have money. So timing, it's all got to work together perfectly. If you're going to go to Nashville Airport, timing's important. You have to leave in enough. Are you, are you going at a time where it's rush hour traffic because you got to go at the right time? I flew out last year out of Nashville Airport, drove up early in the morning. When I was almost there, I got a flat tire on the side. Like, you know those narrow little sides on the road? Like, I had to pull over and change my tire. Don't worry about it. I was like a NASCAR champion. <laughs> Man, I jacked that car, pulled that tire off. The whole time, cars are going like, I'll be honest, I was speaking in tongues, hoping I lived. <laughs> For I was scared. God, but, 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 I, but the whole time, I'm thinking, I got to get to the airport. Timing, timing. When you get to the airport, you got to have enough time to check your bags. You have to have enough time to get through security. If you've ever flown and you have a connecting flight, there's nothing worse than getting off of the plane and you got 12 minutes to run four gates. You'll find out just how to out of shape you are. <laughs> timing, it's timing. The airport has to supply a plane. And, and again, we take it for granted. There's a plane at the gate, but sometimes planes break down. Sometimes they can't get a captain. I've had flights canceled because they couldn't get a captain. It's all timing. So we look at it. We just get on a plane. We get to our destination. We're like, that was great. No, there was timing for your life and timing for the road and timing for the plane. Air traffic controllers doing something. They're telling planes when to take off and where planes to cross and how fast to go and what altitude to fly and when they can land. Everybody say timing. See, hopefully you appreciate there's timing. When you talk about the power of the Christmas story, the reason we're not in all the way we should be is because we don't understand that the context, the backdrop of the Christmas story is timing. It's all timing. And that's why the apostle Paul, he helps us to understand how significant this event is by saying this, but when the right time came. See, we needed a savior to come because we were broken. You go all the way back to the beginning. Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with God. They sinned, committed cosmic rebellion against their creator. The relationship was broken. And when that happened, when Adam and Eve and ultimately all of us now following in their footsteps. When Adam and Eve fell, God did two things immediately. And this, this is really important. The first thing God did was God, God provided an innocent sacrifice. God said, Adam and Eve, you messed up, but this innocent animal is going to lay down his life. We're going to take your guilt and your sin and put it on that animal. The animal has to die so you don't have to. And then we're going to wrap you in the skin of the animal as a picture of covering. 
Immediately, why didn't God just give up on us? Immediately, God provided an innocent sacrifice. He not only provided an innocent sacrifice, he promised an ultimate sacrifice. He said, this, this, this animal is not always going to be enough, but I'm promising there's ultimately going to come one final sacrifice for all the sin of all mankind forever. And come on, how many people are thankful that Jesus showed up and died for all of our sin forever? But here's the question. Here's the question. Why didn't God send Jesus right then? Okay, God, why not now? Because the answer to the apostle Paul is what you need to know is when you thought God wasn't working, when you thought God wasn't there, when you couldn't see God, God was working in history, God was working in hearts, and God was working in humanity, that he set the platform and set the stage when everything he needed to do was complete at the right time in the fullness of time, when all of the preparations were complete. Come on, Jesus, God sent forth his son. What I want you to know today is that you serve a God who's sovereign, who's in control. His timing is impeccable. And so what was happening? Again, why didn't, why didn't Jesus come sooner? Here's what I want us to lean into, these two sides, if you're taking notes. God was getting the gospel ready for the world, and God was getting the world ready for the gospel. The reason Jesus came when he came and didn't come sooner or even later is for these two reasons, that God was getting the gospel ready for the world and the world ready for the gospel. You say, what do you mean by that? The gospel. The word gospel means, anybody know? We'll say it like it is, girl. What's gospel mean? Good news. Everybody shout good news. Come on, Lawrenceburg shows. Everybody shout one, two, three. Good news. You know what the good news is? Good news. God loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to die in your place, to take your sin and your shame so you could have forgiveness and eternal life and you could forever, once and for all, become a child of God, connected to the one who created you, loved you, and you get to spend eternity with him. Come on, anybody know that's some good news? That's good news. But let's lean into this first conversation. God was getting the gospel ready for the world. That's what the gospel is. Again, the gospel is good news. A lot of us, we've heard these scenarios. Some might walk up to you and say, hey, I got good news and bad news. Now, just participate with me here at all of our campuses. If someone comes up to you and says, I got good news and bad news, how many people want, how many people want the bad news first? Come on, don't be lazy. How many people want the good news first? Now, thank you. She's... Now, notice, by far, statistically, people, and, and studies show this, if you have a good news, bad news scenario, people would prefer to get the bad news first. I, I, don't, I don't know why it's, we like a happy ending. I don't know. We like, the, we like the bad news offset with good news. But I want you just to think about this in bad news and good news because the gospel is good news. God was getting the world ready for the gospel and the gospel ready for the world. If someone walked up to you and said, um, hey, bad, you, I got bad news and good news. What do you want first? You said bad news. And they said, well, bad news is we're laying off 80% of the workforce. You're like, oh, man, that's horrible. Good news is you get to keep your job. Well, all of a sudden it's like, well, hey, I mean, that's some bad news, but I'm the 20%. I made the, like, that's bad news, good news. So all of a sudden it was really bad news. But, but if you just showed up to work one day and your boss is like, hey, you get to keep your job. You're like, who cares? Right? It's the bad news that makes the good news good. In fact, sometimes, sometimes it's bad news that makes ordinary news good news. 
This whole world knows there's not many people, at least in this nation, certainly in this room in Lawrenceburg Shoals, anybody watching this, we all know, we all know that Christmas is the celebration of Jesus, but it's ordinary. Do you know why it's ordinary? Because sometimes it takes bad news to make ordinary news good news. And the reason it took so long for Jesus to come, the reason it took that time frame is because in the background, God was preparing the gospel for us. God was getting us ready. Before I can give you the good news, I got to give you the bad news. Are you all tracking with me? That's the, what God was doing. And when I say that, here's, here's what I mean. Is for thousands of years, God was working with hearts. God took the nation of Israel. Before that, he took a man by the name of Abraham. God chose one man out of obscurity, and God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. And out of this one man, God birthed a people, the nation of Israel. And with this nation, now watch this. This is over hundreds of years. God takes then this nation. God introduces himself to them, the nation of Israel, and says, I'm your God, and you're my people. And God gives the nation of Israel the law. He says, this is my covenant. You keep the law and I'll keep connected with you. And the law, by the way, the law was pretty simple. The standards were pretty low. Here was some of the law. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't take God's name in vain. I mean, God is outrageous, isn't he? God says, like, this is, what I, this is how I expect you. This is the moral behavior I expect of my people. And even though God said, this is the law, you know what his people did? They still lied. They still stole, they still committed adultery, and they still took God's name in vain. And what you need to know is, here we are thousands of years later, and we're still lying, we're still stealing, we're still taking God's name in vain, we're still committing adultery. By a show of hands, how many people have ever lied? Wave at me. All you that aren't raising your hands, you're liars. <laughs> watch, watch. How many people have ever stolen? Come on. How many people have ever taken God's name in vain? How many people have ever committed adultery? I just want to see if I get you to your life. Nope. You almost had me, Pastor. Let me put the spin on Jesus because sin's a heart issue. Jesus said, if you've ever looked at a person with lust in your heart, you committed adultery. So let me try it again. How many people have ever looked at a person with lust in the heart? You've committed adultery. So here's what God was doing. Come on, watch this, watch this. God did all of this. God had to find a man, a man that would go along with his plan. God made him a promise. God brought a nation out of that person, gave them the gospel. The gospel was follow my law. And for hundreds of years, person after person, generation after generation, they kept breaking God's law. And the purpose of the law, the purpose of the law was never to make us righteous. Paul talks about this throughout the New Testament. The purpose of the law wasn't to make you good. It's to show you how jacked up you are. Because no matter how much we try not to lie, no matter how much we try not to steal, no matter how much we try not to take God's name in vain, we just continue to miss the mark, fall short, and sin. So what God was doing for hundreds of years was preparing us to show us, before I can give you the good news, I got to give you the bad news that you need good news. Until you, as long as you think the Savior coming's ordinary, you'll never want it. But once you realize how bad you need a savior, you'll sign up for it. Come on. So if you're, if you're taking notes, watch this. Before God would provide the solution, he had to persuade us of the struggle. So why did God take so long? Because we weren't persuaded we needed a savior and he wasn't just going to send Jesus as a savior until we knew there was a struggle. Let me talk about this. So early this year, um, I had to have a colonoscopy. I know you didn't think you'd get that in church. Now, I'm just telling you, so y'all in your teens and 20s and 30s, enjoy it because it's coming. 
But especially to all my lady friends, where's all my ladies at? I give it up to you. The reason God made me a dude is because I could never do what you do. I couldn't go through the tests and procedures and pregnancies and birth. I couldn't do none of it. So kudos to all the ladies in the house. But men have one thing they got to do, and that's when they get 50, they need to get a colonoscopy. Um, <laughs> like 35, I'm like, I got to do that in a little while. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. And then 40, I'm like, I ain't doing that. And 45, 48, I'm like, I ain't doing that. And 50's creeping up. And now if you don't know what a colonoscopy is, I'm going to save you some details, but let me just, in the basic of, most basic of terms, there's two things that happen in a colonoscopy procedure. First of all, they got to clean you out so they'll have you drink this stuff, and everything that you've eaten since you were five comes out of you. Every, I'm telling you, I saw a piece of bubble gum that I swallowed when I was seven years old. I was like, Everything. So, whoo, everything's out. And then the morning of, whoop, just put a camera up and look around. <laughs> Scope it out. Make sure. That's all the details I'll give. I know. You all are tracking with me. I ain't signing up for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. I'm not doing that. I don't need that. Do you know why? Because nobody gave me bad news. That was the solution. The issue was I wasn't having any struggle. But all of a sudden, early last year, I'm a pretty healthy dude. I've not really had any problems. I started having some little issues. And thankfully, we got some incredible physicians and nurses that are a part of this house. And I was able to call one. I was able to send some pictures. That's all I'm going to tell you. <laughs> and I just said, is that normal? And he's like, well, you should probably just come in. Just Let's just be safe. Now, I'm just telling you, for 15 years, I'm like, ain't nothing wrong with me. I'm not getting the scope up my booths. I'm not doing it. I'm good. <laughs> All of a sudden, I started having struggles, and that set me up for the solution. Now, y'all hear me. What God has been doing for hundreds and thousands of years through history, through humanity, specifically through the nation of Israel, is we're a bunch of people like, I'm good. I don't need any help. And God's been saying, trying to teach us through history that know you're broken, know you're messed up. And here we are, and we've believed it. We're, I can't fix me. Government, I, government isn't going to fix it. A self-help book isn't going to fix it. Enough therapy is not going to fix it. Enough medication isn't going to fix it. We need somebody bigger than us and greater than us to step into history and fix us. Come on. So God understands that we learn through time. Not, and we're slow learners. And so when you fail enough, and not just you, but your neighbors fail enough, and as a culture, we've, eventually we come to this place where we realize keeping the law isn't going to fix us. The law was to show us we can't be fixed on our own. So what was God doing for hundreds of years? Why did Jesus come when he came? Is because God was preparing the gospel for the world. And then this is why Paul says in Romans chapter 5, listen to the scripture now in the context of everything I just said. Everybody here read it. Everybody, Lawrenceburg, Shoals. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us as sinners. God had to wait until you realize you can't save yourself. God had to wait until you realize you really are broken. God had to wait until you quit making excuses. God had to wait until you came to the place where you realize, I realize, we realize, we're utterly helpless. We can't fix it. God said, now I'll send the solution. So what has God been doing all this time? Why did it take so long? Why didn't he send him immediately when sin came? Is because when the time was right. In the fullness of time, when all of the preparations were complete, 
Well, that's not all the preparations because God was doing something else. Not only was God preparing the gospel for the world, God was preparing getting the world ready for the gospel. God was getting the world ready for the gospel. See, what good is a solution if it can't be shared? If God says, if, we, if, if people realize I'm broken and he's going to send his son Jesus as the Savior, what good is that solution if it can't be shared? If nobody knows that's a, that's a solution, what good is it? This Man, I hope you all are. I hope you all get rocked the way I've been rocked getting ready for this message. When you look and you see everything God has been doing to get ready for that moment, to prepare that platform for Jesus to come. The Christmas story didn't happen in isolation. It had a context. It didn't just spontaneously pop up. It had been anticipated and waited and prophesied for thousands of years. And at the right time, in the fullness of time, Jesus was born. Not only was he preparing the hearts of people for the gospel. He was preparing people to get the gospel out to the world. Again, this solution of Jesus coming, what good is the solution if it can't be shared? Well, God was working through the platform of history. Now, just give me, give you a quick history lesson. And I know some of you don't like history, but bear with me. There have been several major global superpowers. We know who they are today, the United States, Russia, China, right? We are the global superpowers. Well, we weren't always, we weren't always a nation. In ancient history, there were several major super global, power, global superpowers. In order, there were the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. In each empire, each ancient empire displaced the next. The Medo-Persians displaced the Babylonians. The Greek empire displaced the Medo-Persians. And the Roman empire, which was the ruling power when Jesus was born, displaced the Greek empire. Let me talk about why that's important. Because during the Greek Empire, there was a person by the name of Alexander the Great. Maybe you heard of him. Alexander the Great was not just the leader and the ruler of the Greek Empire at that time, but he was, incredibly, he was an incredible military might. He expanded the Greek Empire far further. We, hear, we still talk about the Greek Empire today. We're influ- influenced by their philosophy. We're imp- influenced by their government. We're influ- influenced by their architecture. The Greek Empire was incredible. But Alexander the Great did something incredible. He was the first ruler that made this rule. In my kingdom, everybody's going to speak the same language. So he made a mandate as they expanded the boundary and borders of the Greek empire into new territories that weren't Greek, that didn't speak Greek. God said everybody, or uh, Alexander the Great said, everybody in my boundaries, they all have to speak the same language. They all have to speak Greek. Hold that for a second. Not long after that, the Greek empire fell to the Roman empire. In the Roman Empire, this is something they did that was pretty profound for the time. The Roman Empire, not for the first time, but in a, in a significant way that no empire before did, they expanded the transportation routes in a way that no empire has. For the last several months, I imagine at least, our president has been talking about this infrastructure bill. This is not political, but at the end of the day, we need roads and we need bridges and we need ports that are safe. The Roman Empire recognized if our empire is going to stretch where it needs to, we need to make sure there are roads and there are bridges, there are ports, and there are trading routes that are safe. 
And you look at that and you're like, Pastor, what does that have to do with anything? Because what good is a solution if it can't be shared? What God was doing, watch this, while, while empires were fighting other empires, while people were bleeding and dying, while battles were going on, while all kinds of immorality was happening, some people, some people who are atheists and agnostics look at the world stage and say, where is your God? Do you know where God was at? God in the middle of the Greek empire and the Roman empire was setting the stage for his son Jesus to come. Because what good is a solution if it can't be shared? Because people don't speak the language. God said, I'm going to make sure everybody in this region speaks the same language. What good is if it can't be shared? God said, I'm going to make sure there's safe roads and routes that the gospel can get out to. That when Jesus came, everybody spoke the same language and it could safely be shared from city to city, region to region. Come on, somebody. That is the wisdom and the authority of the God we serve. He put it all together. I'm just telling you, I'm like, what? So again, God was getting the world ready for the gospel. God was getting the gospel ready for the world. God was working in all of these things. So when you watch it, the Christmas, Christmas story, the birth of Jesus was not just this spontaneous thing. God had been working for hundreds of years in the background to make sure hearts and history culminated in this one moment. You see, Jesus comes. The solution shows up when people recognize they're broken. And the solution shows up when the time is right, that it can, be, it can go global and that it can be shared. See, we live in a, a life that sometimes feels out of control. God, where are you at? We're, we're waiting for our relationships to work out. We're waiting for opportunities to happen. We're waiting for doors to open and we're praying and we're seeking God. God, where are you at? And you might be in a season where you're asking that question. And I just want you to know that the God you serve, while you may not see it, doesn't mean it's not happening. And while you may not feel it in the moment, doesn't mean it's not happening. That we serve a God who is in control, who is 100% sovereign, who is working in details and circumstances and histories and humanities and hearts in a way that you may not always understand, but be sure. Paul said it this way, come on, that, that God works all things together for good for those who love him. God is working. Everybody say that God is working. God's working in your life. God's working in your background. God's working in circumstances. And God was working in history and humanity to get the platform ready. And he looked at his son. He's like, Jesus, are you ready? We, we've, been, we've, been, we've, been, we've been scheming and planning for thought. Are you ready? And 2,000 years ago, Jesus stepped out of heaven into humanity to come as a savior of the world. And the way the apostle Paul describes that moment is in the fullness of time. The way the apostle Paul says it is at the right time. The way the apostle Paul says it is at the culmination of all the events, once all the preparations have been made complete, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law, ultimately to make us, to adopt us as his children. Come on, is anybody else in awe like I am? Come on, somebody. <clears throat> so watch it. If you're taking notes, Christmas, Christmas is the climax. This is what we're celebrating. Christmas is the climax of God's timing of preparing hearts, of the people to receive the gospel and the world of people to share the gospel. Let me say it again. Christmas is the climax of God's timing of preparing the hearts of people to receive the gospel of the world of people to share the gospel. Now, let me just bring it a little bit closer to home and I'm, I'm gonna wrap this up. So again, this whole thing is timing. It's timing, it's timing, it's timing. One of the stories, if you've been in church long enough or Maybe like us, we have a tradition in our home when we wake up on Christmas morning before we open anything or eat anything, we sit down and read the Christmas story together. 
to make sure our hearts are calibrated. This is why we're celebrating this day. I want us to read just a portion of it because I want you to see how providential God is, how God's timing, how impeccable it is. There's a story that most of us are familiar with. It's found in Luke chapter 1, and it goes like this. It says, in the sixth month, anybody here see timing there? In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth gave birth to John the Baptist, who is the forerunner of the ministry of Jesus. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth in a village of Galilee to a virgin named Mary. And she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Now stop. I want you just to think about this. So God's like, okay, we got hearts ready. People are know that they know they're messed up. They, they got the bad news. Let's send the good news. We're going to send the good news, Jesus. And when we get there, the, the, the globe is ready for the, for the news to go national. Now I just need somebody who's willing to be the conduit for the child to come. Now here's what's crazy. A couple other things still had to happen. All the way back in Genesis, the proto-evangelion, the first gospel where God said, he said this to Eve, or he said this to the serpent. He said, there's going to be a seed that comes out of Eve not out of Adam. There's going to be a child born out of the line of Eve. And when he shows up, he's going to defeat sin and crush Satan. You move forward, and in the nation of Israel, there was a king, his name was David. And God prophesied to David, David, your throne is going to reign forever. What he was saying was, your throne is always going to be in charge. Well, David died. What God God was saying was, through the line of the nation of Israel, through the line ultimately of David, God said, I'm going to bring a new king, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. Well, in order for that to happen, watch, watch. Lord, help me. Y'all got to track with this. God said, I need a woman. She's got to be a virgin. She's not only got to be a virgin, she has to be of the family line of David. And she has to be connected and engaged or married to a man who's from the line of David. Do y'all see how small that circle's getting? And God found at the right time. Here's why. When you read the Gospels, in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, there's two different different genealogies. If you don't know what a genealogy is, basically this person gave birth to this person who gave birth to this person. And you read it, you're like, what's the point? Well, one genealogy is the genealogy of Mary showing that she's a part of the line of David. She could fulfill the prophecy that Jesus would come through her. The other genealogy is the genealogy of Joseph because Jesus had to be recognized biologically through Mary that she belonged to David and legally because your name came from your father legally through Joseph. That they so God found a virgin at the right time who was from the line of David, who was, who was engaged to a guy from the line of David and said, hey girl, you want to be a part of this? Here's what I'm telling you. Is you look at the history and it's like God is, it's almost like man doesn't have a choice. It's like God was, God was setting it all up. And it's like, we, we, we live this life and we think like we choose and like, wait a minute, God, God worked through war and battles and turnover in history. And God executed his plan to a T in the fullness of time. And we feel like we don't get to pick. And then God says, no, no, wait a minute. The platform's ready. I just need a person to volunteer. And he comes to Mary and he taps her on the shoulder. And he says, I set the stage for you. And she's like, who am I? I'm, no, I'm nobody. See, some of you got a tap on your shoulder. 
and you're, you're like, who am I to be used? Who am I to step out? Who, who am, for God, you can't, you can't use me. I've messed up too, too I've gone too far. I've, God, you can, and God's like, no, you understand. I've been setting up a platform for 2,000 years for you to step onto. I know my timing's right, whether you can see it or not. What I'm trying to tell you is, come on, God is able to use anybody at any time, anywhere. When you get a tap on your shoulders, because God has set the stage for you to step out into it and be the person God's called you to be. Come on, somebody. And so Mary says this in verse 38. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. We get to participate in God's providence. While God is providential, while God is working and moving and putting things together in a way we can't begin to comprehend, there are times we can say, God, here am I, use me. We get to participate in the providence of God. Can I give you one more thing? Just one more. You move right after this event. (laughs) This is so crazy. Everybody say timing. God's timing. So God sets up history. God sets up humanity. God sets up our hearts. God's like, they know there's bad news. They're ready for the good news. He finds, he finds Mary, a virgin. She's from the family line of David, engaged to a dude from the family. And he's like, one more thing's got to happen. Wait. Micah 5.2 is a prophecy in the Old Testament. It's 900 years before the birth of Jesus. The prophecy is out of over 300 in the Old Testament about this Messiah when he comes. One was when he comes, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Well, y'all remember where God found Mary. She was in Galilee of Nazareth. And so God's like, I got the stage right. I got the person right. I found the girl that'll go along. She gets to participate with my providence. But the problem is she's all the way over in Nazareth. And I said, when this child comes, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. How do I get her to go for all the way over there? Like we get in cars today and we jump on planes. Back then you had to roll donkey style. You know what I'm saying? Anybody signed up for that? So God's like, how do I get her to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem? Watch Luke chapter 2. Y'all ready? (laughs) At that time, timing, it's all about timing. At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken by Quirinius, the governor of Syria, and all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. Well, you had to go to the place your ancestor was born. You know where David was born? Bethlehem. So here's what I'm telling you is, God set the entire stage, and then he said, one one last thing we got to do is we got to get Mary, who's participating in my providence. I got to get her out of the city she's at. I got to get her to Bethlehem so everything comes to pass the way I planned it. And the way God did it was God touched the shoulder of the most powerful man on the planet, Caesar Augustus. He was large and in charge. What I'm telling you is if God can tap the shoulder of Caesar Augustus to inspire him to take a census, then I'm telling you God can touch the shoulder of your boss. God can touch the shoulder of your husband. God can touch the shoulder of the person you're struggling with. Come on, if God can move them. The Bible says that the hearts of the king are in the hands of the Lord. This wasn't Caesar. Caesar might have thought it was this. One day he's like, Hey, y'all, you know what we should do? We should do a census. You know what a census was to make sure everybody was getting taxed appropriately and to make sure they could recruit militarily. But God at the... And he not only did it, the right time was he had to announce it at enough time for the word to go out in the kingdom at enough time for Mary and Joseph to get it, at enough time for her to get on a donkey and ride to Bethlehem that when she got there... 
I'm just telling you, man, God is, we look at Christmas and we're like, wasn't that great? I'm telling you, your God is so big and so in control of every circumstance, every minute detail. God is absolutely sovereign. We should lose our mind at Christmas because the context of Christmas is the timing of our God. He's in control all the time. Come on, somebody. Let's go. A couple weeks ago, my wife pulled off a surprise party for me. And I'm like, wow, that's great. God's like, look what I did. <laughs> Jesus just, just didn't pop up. That junk was planned, prophesied, prepared for. The world didn't even want it. God said, you ain't got a choice. People were fighting and spreading kingdoms and bad. God said, I'm going to use it all. This world is falling apart. And God says, I'm still in control. Your problem isn't bigger than God's providence. Some of you think you're in the middle of something trying to figure out. God's like, I got that. I can use that. That's part of my plan. You say my pain is part of the plan. God brings out some of the best in pain. You will never celebrate the bigness of God until you get some pain in your life. Listen, it's undervalued. God's grace is undervalued when things are good. When all the bills are paid and the marriage is great and the kids are obeying, you got a car that starts, you got a roof over your head. God isn't all that great. But get in some mess, get in some trouble and call it to God and you'll find out how big God is because God can rescue, God can restore, God can heal, God can show up. Just on the count of three, can we just say the word timing together? All of our campuses, Shoals, Lawrenceburg, if you're at home, I want you to say this word. Ready? One, two, three. Timing. Father, I pray we would just be in awe in your of your timing. The context of the day we celebrate is so much bigger than we could ever imagine and bigger than we could ever say on a Sunday morning. Lord, help us to see it for what it is. Help us to be in awe of who you are. Help us to appreciate the lengths you've gone to to save us, the plans you executed to redeem us, and the things you're still doing currently in our time. Father, I pray we would be in awe of your timing. Father, we love you. We thank you for all of it. I pray every heart that's hearing this message, that's listening to this sermon, I pray, Father, they would be stirred if they're broken. God, they would realize how far they are from you. God, because of our own sin, but they would realize that God today, because Jesus came for you, that all we have to do is say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sin. Become my savior. And if you'll call out to Jesus, he will answer you. He will forgive you and you will forever be his child. And Father, we thank you for all of it in Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed said amen. Come on, can we give God praise?